Father, want to thank you uh, for the day. We want to thank you uh, for your word. And as we continue on in the book of John today, um, I pray that we would just uh, see Jesus, uh, see his will and desire uh, and grace for our lives, and that we would respond to him. And that I would be, uh, as the communicator today, completely out of the way of your text, but that your word would find, um, that the, the seed of your word would, would, would find a place this morning in our hearts and our minds. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I want you to, for just a few minutes, uh, travel back with me to 1976 when the average cost of a new house was $43,400. The average income for the year was $16,000. The average monthly rent was $220. The cost of a gallon of gasoline was 59 cents. Polaroid camera, you can ask your parents or grandparents what that is, it's $28. A men's sports jacket was $37. A new color TV was $599. A CB radio was $147. And a microwave oven was $169. 1976 also happened to be uh, the year I was born. Uh, my parents were baby boomers. Uh, they became Christians. I've told you guys this story a bunch, but they became Christians the year I was born. Uh, there was something about uh, me being born and looking into my beautiful face. My parents said, we need the Lord desperately. Uh, and they were right, they did. And so they became Christians the year I was born. And one of the primary ways uh, as baby boomers that my parents expressed their faith as I was growing up was through church attendance. We attended church so much. <laughs> I, I can promise you, you have not attended more church services. I mean, maybe if you're quite a bit older than me, but if you're near my age, you have not attended more church services than I have. We attended church so much. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening. If the custodian was washing the windows, we took up our pew and we watched, right? Uh, I grew up going to church. And I, I think as we've seen a generational shift, from baby boomer mindset to millennial mindset, and we've seen the effects of COVID-19 on our culture, which is significant for the church, that that, ex expression, that individual expression of faith, uh, attendance at everything, is on a steep, steep decline. There's been a great deal of social research uh, done about the generational shift from boomers to millennials, the effects of COVID-19 on church attendance, but uh, the, the biggest kind of take home from these studies is that for the first time since Gallup has been tracking these numbers, less than a majority of, me of Americans belong to any religious institution at all. Less than a majority for the first time ever. Now, this might cause us some grief to see the way that things are, are changing. I confess to you, uh, it grieves me. I, obviously, I've chosen the church to give, to give my life to it. I believe in the church. I believe in what the church does. Uh, more on that uh, a little bit later in the message. But even if you transition from statistics, which can be kind of cold uh, and, and set apart, if you think about just your individual experience, some of you might be grieving on a more personal level. 
that you've seen kids or you've seen grandkids disengage from the church, uh, maybe lose their faith, and, and you just kind of have stood back and watched, and, and there's really nothing you've been able to do about it. Uh, and while it's true, undoubtedly it's true, that there is less interest in localized church attendance while there's less interest in that, there still does seem to be this seed in our culture of a hungering for spirituality, this hungering for something more, this hungering for something that goes beyond me. And the question that I want to try to answer for us and for our culture, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're either sitting in church or watching our live stream, church is important to you. The question becomes that hunger for spirituality, where do we find it, where do we go for it, or maybe more importantly in this series, in whom do we find it? I think that there are two places that the two largest generations right now have typically strived uh, to go to for their faith, uh, and, and what I would describe it as is in, in older generations, it's religion, and in younger generations, it's a, a sense of spirituality. And I think both of those ideologies leave us wanting for more. Consider just those two words for a minute, religion and spirituality. Religion sounds constrictive. Spirituality sounds liberating. Religion sounds like following rules. Spirituality sounds like making your own rules. Religion sounds like a corrupt institution Spirituality falls, sounds like following your own heart. Religion sounds like having to go to a building once or twice or, in my case, four times a week. Um, spirituality sounds like experiencing God's presence in nature. Religion sounds like your hope will be in an institution. Spiritually, spirituality sounds like hope will be found within yourself. And here's my question. What if both those things are wrong? Not, not 100% wrong, but mostly wrong. We're in this series right now called Shadows, and we're examining these kind of things that our world longs for, these things that our world wants, and found outside of Jesus, they find us living in the shadows. And I think the idea of, uh, of faith in an institution above a person or faith in myself above the person that, that I should really believe in, both those things will find us wanting for more. They are shadows of the thing that we're really called to do, the, the good thing, the righteous thing, the holy thing. So what does Jesus have to say for those of us that are spiritually seeking? And maybe as a baby boomer, you have found yourself uh, kind of... Uh, buying into a religion or an institution, or maybe if you're a young person, you find yourself kind of buying into the sense of spirituality, we want to go to Jesus. What does he teach us today about our search for spirituality? And we're going to be in John 3. And in uh, this story, a man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he uh, begins to question Jesus about a sense of spirituality. Now, if Nicodemus were around today, he would not fit into the category of our modern-day spirituality spirituality seeking. He is a Pharisee. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, meaning he's committed to observing the Old Testament law. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish governing authority of the day. He is not a fan of religious institutions. He is the religious institution, right? He's given his life to the religious institution. And like so many of us uh, today, maybe many of us, he is searching spiritually and he believes Jesus can help. And let me show you the conversation that they have. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. 
there's a really dumb joke that I, I've been trying my hardest not to make about this. You could call this story Nick at Night because Nicodemus comes, right? It's, it's not even a good reference anymore because yet I did it. So, all right, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God was not with them. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen but still you people do not accept the testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. And I know you've heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world but everyone who loved darkness instead of light uh, but, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen uh, plainly that they have done, uh, that they have done, that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So let's start out with, an, I think, an obvious truth from this story, and that is Jesus is the one that we should be seeking spiritually. I, I love that Nicodemus recognizes this, that he even calls Jesus his rabbi and his teacher. He doesn't fully know who Jesus is. We can be sure of that. He doesn't fully know who Jesus is. He does not fully understand what Jesus has come to accomplish, but he knows there's something about Jesus that he knows Jesus is the one he should be seeking for his answers about spirituality, his answers about faith, his, his, uh, his questions about faith, his questions about spirituality, his questions about the things that he is most longing for. And I think this is an answer worth thinking through, a, a question worth thinking through. Who has the answers that I'm looking for when it comes to the spiritual? Who should I really be listening to? Is it the professional athlete who once in a while makes a statement of faith? Is it the social media guru who knows how to turn a phrase? Is it the TV personality like Oprah that seems so wise? Is it the political leader who wants my vote? Who should I be listening to? Who should I be basing my faith on? And I think that a lot of people say a lot of wise and important and good things. It's not that we shouldn't be listening to anyone, but Jesus has the words to eternal life. 
And he said so many wise and good and important things Jesus did. But it is, as we alluded to earlier, it is his resurrection that proved that he was who he said that he was. Jesus said about himself, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And it is his resurrection that demonstrated that. It is his resurrection that proved it. So all the good, wise, and noble things that Jesus said, his resurrection proved he had the authority, he had the ability, he had everything that he needed to speak life into us. He is the one we should be seeking for spirituality. I'm reminded of a, a, a statement at the end of John 6, another sermon Jesus preached. He said, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Right? Anytime you're reading through the Gospels, sometimes you will come to a teaching of Jesus and you're like, whoa, that's hard. That, hopefully that's happening. right? Because we want to be challenged. We want to be convicted. He said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, look at this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And hopefully, that very thing is happening to you and me a dozen times a year. That we're reading a teaching, we're reading something Jesus says, it's like, whoa, that's hard. That's difficult. I don't know if we want to do that. And Jesus stands there and says, will you leave too? He's like, no, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. You have the words to eternal life. And so I've got to comply my desire and my wishes to be obedient to what the king of the kingdom says. And that's really the point of what Jesus is trying to show here in terms of where we go to for spirituality. Is he saying, man, I, am, I have come and I've ushered in a kingdom. I am the king. You are living in that kingdom. Of course, come to the king. Come to the king for your sense of spirituality. And to really drive this point home, he gives us three images to really consider. The first one is the image of birth. Now, this was not a new idea to Nicodemus because in his system of thinking, to be a part of God's family, to be his chosen people, you had to be born Jewish. But what Jesus is talking about here, a new birth into a new kingdom where he is the king on the throne and he's all authority in heaven and on earth has been given him. He is the king in charge. This kingdom of Jesus Nicodemus had no category for it. It was a spiritual birth. The text says, via water, symbolizing our baptism, which is definitely us saying we are dying to ourselves and we are rising up to new life to live in the kingdom of Jesus, right? Symbolizing baptism and the spirit that is given and is the mark for every believer. It is how we enter into the kingdom. We must be born again. And it happens in response to faith in Jesus. We are baptized in faith. We receive the Spirit through faith. We are given eternal life through faith. We follow Jesus and live for Jesus through a life 
of faith. This is a reminder for us. This is a reminder to us that your invitation to be born again has nothing to do with the nation you were born into. Being an American, it doesn't mean anything in this realm. It has nothing to do with the family you were born into. What your grandpa, grandpa and grandma and mom and dad's beliefs, it, it doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with the race you were born into. The invitation to be born again, the invitation to follow Jesus is offered to everyone. It is the beauty of the gospel. It is for everyone. And so the question becomes, do you wish to be born again? Do you wish to be born again? Jesus invites you to it. He invites you to it through faith. He invites you into baptism. He invites you into relationship. He invites you to faith. And it's for everyone. It's not just for Americans. It's not just for a certain gender. It's not just for certain people. It is for everyone. Every single person is invited into this relationship of faith. It's why we support overseas missions. It's why we support local missions. It's why we exist as a church. It's why racism in the local church has no place. Sexism has no place. Any of the isms have no place. Because this invitation to new birth and new life and kingdom It is offered to every single person. It's also a reminder to us how everything changes at birth. Now, I don't remember my birth. I've heard it was a horrifying experience for my mom. I've been told about a story about a winter storm. I was born in mid-January. A winter storm that nearly kept my parents from getting to the hospital. Uh, I was almost born in the middle of nowhere uh, at Uh, and a very unfortunate train uh, that was stuck on the track uh, in the middle of a winter storm. But one thing I know, I don't remember any of that. My parents have told me the stories. When I was born, everything changed. The way I was living and surviving changed the minute I was born. The way I interacted with the world changed. The way I was going to grow changed. Changed too much, honestly, but... And the same is true when we're born again into this kingdom of Jesus. Things change. They should change. The way we are living changes when we're born again. The way we interact with the world, it changes. That's what so disheartens me and why I beat this drum again and again and again. Our response to politics, our response to culture, our response to our neighbors, it should be different. Because we are a people of grace, we are a people of kingdom, we are a people of love, we are a people of resurrection. And so our response, it can't be the same political response as our culture. It can't be the same response as our neighbors. It can't be the same response as our government. It has to be different because we are a people that have been born again. And the way we grow, it changes. So the next image Jesus kind of shares is the image of wind. And we understand this about wind. We live in Illinois, uh, and we especially understand it recently, that you cannot control the wind. You remember where you were? I know you remember how long you were out of power, but you remember where you were that last kind of straight line wind came through uh, a couple weeks ago? Oh my goodness, I was at Diamond's Restaurant, and it is unlike anything I've ever experienced. So we live in Illinois. We understand we cannot control the wind. When Jesus was here on earth, Jesus could not be controlled. 
The entities tried, but he said what needed to be said. He did what needed to be done. He performed the miracles the way he wanted to perform them. They couldn't control him. In the same way, when the spirit was given to the church in the book of Acts, the spirit cannot be controlled. You cannot control the spirit of Jesus. But you can learn to work and keep in step with the spirit. You cannot control the wind. But you can learn to work with the wind to drive a boat, for instance, to sail a boat. Or you can learn to work with the wind so that you can fly a kite. You cannot control it, but you can learn to work with it and keep in step with it to do extraordinary things. So part of this Jesus-centered spirituality is understanding that Jesus has given you and me and us his Holy Spirit, and our job is not to control the Spirit's work, but our job is to walk in step with and in alignment with, with the Spirit, with the Spirit. So the Spirit's trying to do these things. He's trying to grow fruit in you and me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit is trying to lead us. The Spirit is trying to uh, gift us for works of service. He's doing this work in us and through us, and I can't control it. But let me tell you what I can do and what you can do. I can quiet my life down so that I can hear the Spirit. I can repent of my sin and seek righteousness so I'm not distracted. I can step out in faith and serve. I can't control what the, ser- what the Spirit does through my service, but I can be obedient, step out, and watch what the Spirit does. You can't control the Spirit, but you can keep in step and walk with and live in obedience to Jesus. You can walk with the Spirit and watch what the Spirit does. The last image is the image of being lifted up. To give Nicodemus a a glimpse of what this Jesus-centered spirituality looks like, he goes back to Numbers 21. The Israelites are in the middle of their 40 years of wandering in the desert uh, to, to find eventually their promised land and to make it home, and they begin to complain in the middle of the desert once again. Things are not to their liking, and here's what the text says. They spoke against God and against Moses, saying, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. Now, if you've ever been on a road trip with your kids, you know what this is like. (laughs) But it pales in comparison to what is going on here, because first of all, God had been miraculously feeding Israel. There was this kind of, what is it bread that would come down from heaven. They didn't consider it real bread. It was uh, something from heaven that, that was a little bit different than bread. And then just a chapter before, God had given them water out of a rock. Just, just a chapter earlier, God had miraculously provided them water from a rock. But they are, they are sick and tired of eating the same meal every day, no matter how miraculous it is. And so God sends venomous snakes into the camp. And if you ever, like, that's one way to get the complaining to stop, or at least to divert it to something else, right? If you walked into a restaurant and you're like, man, alive, the service here is so poor, it's so terrible, and then all of a sudden you saw venomous snakes come in, you'd be like, you know what, I've got other complaints, right? Or if you walked into a place and you're like, man, alive, the air conditioning's not working, it is so hot in here, and then all of a sudden you saw a whole bunch of venomous snakes, you'd be like, you know what? My complaints about the air conditioning can hold on for a minute. And so these venomous snakes kind of come into the camp, and the complaining stops, and Moses prays to God to make it stop. 
And so God provides a solution by telling Moses to make a snake out of bronze, to put it on a pole, so that everyone that is bitten by the snake and, and takes on that venom can look at the bronze snake and be healed. And so this snake lifted up in the desert in the midst of God's people becomes the source of their healing. It is an odd story. I don't believe I've ever preached on it before, to be honest with you. It is an odd story. But Jesus points it out. He grabs this piece of their history to explain who he is. That just like that bronze snake was lifted up in the wilderness to bring healing to those dying from venom, so Jesus said he would be lifted up. We know that this happens through the cross. He would be lifted up, and everyone who looks to him will also be healed from the poison of sin. And this gives us the next lesson Jesus is trying to teach us on spirituality. Spirituality cannot be understood until we see Jesus lifted up. It is when we see Jesus lifted up on that cross, when we see Jesus lifted up, that we are healed and we are forgiven and we are inspired and we are helped. Seeing Jesus lifted up, hopefully it changes everything as we follow him. That because he is lifted up, and when we, when we look at him, because he is lifted up, we receive grace upon grace upon grace. But also because he is lifted up, we are able to receive his Holy Spirit who empowers us and builds fruit into us and gives us a, a, a purpose and a mission in life and a better life than any of that. And so it is all about Jesus being lifted up. And looking at him in faith and seeing him lifted up and looking at him in faith and receiving healing from our sin and from so many other things. It is seeing Jesus lifted up that makes the difference. So here's what I want you to see. You can see, hopefully, that seeing spirituality through the prism of an institution is a real dangerous thing. That my faith is primarily in a church or a leader or a political party or a company that's going to sell product. When the institution or the human leader becomes the most important thing, it's easy to find ourselves defending things we shouldn't defend and justifying things we shouldn't justify because the human leader or the institution has become the thing we're protecting. And if you ever want to see an example of this, I will point you to the false idol of politics as we enter into the next election cycle. You will find Democrats defending behavior in the Republican candidate that they should not be defending, and you will find Democrats defending things in the Democratic candidate that they should not be defending because they are worshiping a false idol when they should be worshiping Jesus. They are believing that politics will bring them new life, and only Jesus can bring new life. Now, that being said, Hopefully and obviously, we can see that the gathering together of Christians is important. The church, as a people, not as an institution, the church as a people is tasked with lifting Jesus up to our culture and pointing people to him so that they can gaze upon Jesus and be healed. It is not, our task is not to lift up a political leader or a political system or an institution and say, people, look at that and you will be saved. They will not be saved. They will worship a false God that gives them false hope and ends up taking their life into a ditch. But instead, the church as a people, not as an institution, we lift Jesus up and only Jesus up so that people can gaze upon him and receive healing and new life and new purpose and their faith 
can be in him. So church is not the problem. Church as an institution, a thing we defend above all, or a human leader that we believe in above all, that is the problem. Church as the early church planned it to be, a gathering of people that worship together and hear God's word proclaimed together and do life together and are pointing people to the most important person, Jesus, that is the mission and purpose of the church that ultimately would bring new life and joy and purpose and peace to our community. So seeing religion primarily through a broken institution is a dangerous thing. Seeing spirituality through the prism of self, hopefully we can see that that would be a dangerous thing as well because self has a sin nature. No one has hurt me more than me. My own decisions, my own sense of right and wrong, my own desire to do what I want to do. No one has hurt me more than me and my own decision-making. So seeing the prism of spirituality through, this is what I think is right, or this is what I think I should do, or this is what I think is the, is the right path forward, is a recipe for disaster. It is Jesus lifted up that leads me to a path of new life, that leads me to a path of joy a path of peace. And I'm telling you, this prism of self, it is a thing our culture struggles with. If I think it's right, if I think it's holy, if I think it's righteous, then it must be. Where in Christianity, we learn that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So anytime I'm like, man, this is what I think is right, this is what I think is righteous, this is what I think is holy, because of some of the texts of the New Testament, I hit the pause button. I'm going to run this through the prism of Jesus. I'm going to run it through the prism of the Bible. I'm going to run it through the prism of the people that I love, that I'm in relationship with, and see if there's agreement on whether or not this is actually holy and righteous and good. Seeing spirituality through the prism of cold religion, like just all religion is is a set of rules that I'm supposed to follow. It's a real dangerous thing. Because I miss the beauty and the grace and the relationship of seeing Jesus lifted up and bringing new life and joy and peace. Seeing spirituality through the lens of a rubber stamp in case something happens to me and I die so so that I can kind of have a rubber stamp on my life to make sure I go to heaven when I die is a real dangerous thing. Because I miss so much of the life of Jesus and the life that he has in store for me as a king over a kingdom on the throne. We're missing it. We're living in the shadows when we have it be our sense of spirituality. Anything but Jesus. A political leader will lead you astray. You, I love you. You're very nice people. You will lead yourself astray. I will lead myself astray. Jesus, high and lifted up is the song that we sing sometimes. High and lifted up. Jesus will lead you to life. Jesus will lead you to joy. Jesus will lead you to hope holiness. Jesus will lead you to eternal life. Jesus, high and lifted up, should be our sense of spirituality. When we see a spirituality based on anything but him, his words, his life, his example, his death, his resurrection, his spirit, anything other than being based in him, we live in the shadows. So Jesus stands to Nicodemus, who is part of a religious institution. His job was to protect the institution above all. He says, could you tell me a little bit about where spirituality is found, Jesus? And he says, all right, 
It's like you've been reborn, Nicodemus. It's like you've been born again. And this time when you kind of come out into this new life, you're in a new kingdom with a new king, with a new way of living, and joy, hope, and peace unspeakable. It's like you're, Nicodemus, it's like you're being born again. Or he says, Nicodemus, it's kind of like the way the wind blows. You can't control the wind, but you can listen to it, and you can keep in step with it, and because of that, you can sail to places that you cannot even imagine, or you can fly a kite further and higher than you've ever flown one before if you'll listen to the wind and you'll keep in step with the wind. He said, it's kind of like that with me, that that you can't control me, you can't control my spirit, but you can walk with me, you can keep in step with me, you can give your life to me, and we will go to places you cannot imagine, and we will fly higher than you can even believe. It's like that story as a Jewish leader that you've heard your whole life of God's people complaining and whining, enough with the manna, enough with the water from the rock, we want a happy meal that will bring us happiness. How do you feel about venomous snakes? <laughs> oh, we'd like to retract our criticism, Jesus. It's like that story when Moses lifted that snake up and everybody who had been bitten by those snakes and was going to die, everybody who had been bitten by those snakes could look up at that bronze snake and receive healing and new life and joy. It says, my kingdom, is, it's like that. Only I'm the one lifted up. And everyone who looks at me and says, that's my king, that's my Lord, that's my savior. Everyone who looks at me, they'll receive healing from sin, forgiveness, grace upon grace upon grace. And because of that, they will find new life. Let me pray for us. Jesus, it is all about you. May we repent right now as we get ready to receive communion for the times that we have been tempted to make an institution bigger than you. To say like, man, this political institution or this religious institution, I'm going to put all my faith and all my eggs into that basket because they're going to lead me to new life. May we repent of that and say, no, no, no. The church is at its best when it's lifting you up, Jesus. Political leaders are at their best when they are lifting you up. Because you bring new life. You bring joy, hope, and peace. You point us in the direction that we need to go. And so may we repent when we've made an institution something bigger than it should be. May we repent when we've made ourselves something bigger than we should be. And we're like, man, if I think it's holy, righteous, and good, then it must be. Lord, I repent of that the times that I've done that. And may our sense of spirituality be in you. And this morning, may it be like we're born again. May it be like we're listening to the wind and that kite, get, the wind gets a hold of that kite and all of a sudden it just, it flies. Because we were in step with the wind, in step with the spirit. And over the next few minutes especially, may it be like looking up at that bronze snake and being healed and forgiven and set free from our sin. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This is when the church...
right now, this is when the church is in its sweet spot. Because right now we are going to lift Jesus up through communion. Jesus commanded us to do this, that every time we receive the bread, it is like his body that was on that cross. Every time we receive the juice, it is like his blood that was on that cross. And we lift him high, not because we're an institution, but because we're a people of God. It's not about the institution, it's about the people. Institutions have power. The people of God lay our power down and serve others. So we're we're not about power. We're about people. And so right now, as the people of God, we lift Jesus high. And as we gaze at him on that cross, in our mind's eyes right now, may we receive healing, peace, joy, hope, new life, and purpose. High and lifted up Jesus. We're going to receive communion together, and you can just uh, kind of gaze at him, think about him, what he did on that cross, and then I'll come back up in just a few minutes, and we'll receive communion together as a church family. High and lifted up, his body given for you, his blood poured out for you. Jesus, we want to thank you for going to that cross. We want to thank you for being high and lifted up so that we could gaze upon you, put our faith in you, and receive healing. And right now in a culture that is spiritually speaking but doesn't know where to find it, that are, they're so cynical about institutions, they're so cynical about organized religion, I want to pray right now that we would be a people a people that just simply love you and have gazed upon you and received healing. And may they see in us something different than a machine, something different than a a power broker, something different than a powerful institution. May they see in us this simple faith and a life lived in response to that faith. And may they then in turn gaze upon you and receive healing. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, let's close with one last song, guys. All right, God bless you. Um, we're, uh, if you have any kind of questions or needs, some of our elders are going to be in the overflow right after church. They would love to pray with you. They'd love to uh, talk with you about Northwest and the people that we are. Uh, they would love to talk to you about giving your life to Jesus if you want to see him high and lifted up in your life. And they'll, they'll be in the overflow right after church if you want to make your way over there. God bless you. Let's sing one last song.